this this lesson actually I was I was I got this thought last retreat when he was teaching. I can't remember which session he was teaching though, but the the main scripture came to me when he was teaching, and it's I think it's changed from what I thought it was going to be, but kind of nice, kind of like it. Um, and I think it's it's exciting because it's like finally I feel like my heart is in tune with the reality of the scriptures. And like I can finally say I really believe them and can feel them. And it's not just cliches or just fables or just words, but like they mean something and they have power when I read them. And that's just an amazing place to be, to be able just to pick up a couple of verses and say, God, that is profound and that is real, you know? Um, I'm grateful now for the fish that have swallowed me and that I was able to get the revelation. You know, um, I think the biggest thing was probably my mother's death, which has catapulted everything. And for me now to be able to have some peace about that and to be able to say that uh, because of her death, I am where I am today, that I don't know if she was living. I'm sure God would have orchestrated it a different way, but this is how he decided to do it. This is his plan. But because of her death, it has caused me to find him in a way that I never would have found him before. And for that, I'm grateful. You know, I can say, not that it's a good thing that she's gone, you know, because that's, I don't ever say it's good that she's gone, but... I can say that God has shown me something in the midst of all of that. So, and I was looking for that because I was like, you got to make this make sense somehow. Um, I have a, quite a few scriptures, but I'm mainly just reading them. So it kind of just flows. So hopefully I don't bore you. And I hope this really does all tie together because I have pulled stuff from a lot of different places <laughs> and hoping it all just kind of falls into line. Um, Again, I was humbled by the preparation of this lesson and overwhelmed again by the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Um, last night, I was talking about how in all was that he would bestow his constant presence on us, how with all these retreats, how he has come and shown his, you know, multifacetedness and just in the lessons we've taught and the, uh, the ability for us to be able to communicate with each other, the the teachings that we've all given to each other, you know, in our discussions has just been so profound that he would be so kind to just visit us. Just us little folks trying to find him. Um, the amazing thing is not that we have sought him and he has answered. It is the fact that he opened our heart to even want to seek him. And to give us the desire to thirst after him. In uh, Acts 16 and 14, and I don't think anyone ever really, I've never heard anybody bring this one part out in this. But it says, one woman, Lydia, was from Thyatira and went a dealer in expensive textiles, known to be a God-fearing woman. As she listened with intensity to what was being said, the master gave her a trusting heart and she believed. 
I mean, I don't, that's always been kind of, I think, skipped over when they talk about her, but that God gave her the trusting heart, and that's why she believed. You know, she was the God-fearing woman, but he said, you get the heart, now she gets to believe. And he's kind enough to give us, you know, our, our, our part where we can kind of pat ourselves on the back a little and say, well, look, I'm fighting for God and I'm doing what I need to do. And the fact that we've pressed through 10 months and given up weekends to be here and find him, but he gave us the heart that was even able to receive this stuff. That had he not say, I give you the heart to trust and believe in me, we never would have gotten it. So once again, it's all about him. He's doing it all, not us. That is amazing. Um, I, I want to talk about how far we have come and the desires we must have to continue on the path. And this is where many of us were some time ago. And this is Psalms 73, verse 21 through 25. And we get back here every once in a while. <laughs> it says, when I was belligerent, stressed, under pressure, and bitter, totally consumed by envy, I was totally ignorant, a dumb ox in your very presence. I'm still in your presence, but you've taken my hand. You wisely and tenderly led me, and then you blessed me. You're all I want in heaven. You're all I want on earth. Go to Galatians 4, 9 through 10. So if we think back to where we were, I mean, we, we had the presence of God because he's been here. He was kind enough to give us his, his, his essence and his spirit. So we've always had him with us. It was just, we didn't know he was holding our hand. So I was just this dumb animal acting out, being angry and mad and bitter, envious and jealous. But now I see that you got my hand. And now yeah, I'm just going to let you walk with me. I'm going to let you give me the wise counsel now and bless you. And then I'm going to say, you're all I want. Just in heaven, on earth, just, just, just you. Galatians 4, it says, and now that you have found God, or I should say, now that God has found you, how can it be that you want to go back again and become slaves once more to another poor, weak, useless religion of trying to get to heaven by obeying God's laws. I saw this scripture and said, as far as we have come, we better not go back to the old ways. Trying to impress God through vain traditions and self-righteous accomplishments, thinking we're impressing God when we are really trying to impress ourselves and others. Think how grand it is that God has found us and that we have found him. This is a glorious thing. Let us not forget where we were and where we are now. It has been some work. It has been some painful work. But look where we've gone. In these short amount of months, we have gained so much more ground than we've ever gained before. We shall never forget that. We can't ever lose sight when the tests and the trials come and the, the ability for us to get 
scared and weak and, and confused and doubt. We have to always reflect on where we've come and not dare go back to where we were, to that fake religion that we thought we were impressing God and not knowing him at all. The next set of verses is where we need to get and then stay until Christ comes to get us. Acts 2, 25 through 28. It says, David said it all. I saw God before me all time. Nothing can shake me. He's right by my side. Look at that assurance. Nothing can shake me now. God is by my side. I'm glad from the inside out, ecstatic. I've pitched my tent in the land of hope. Instead of living in the imprisonment of death, he now lives in the land of hope. I know you'll never dump me in Hades. I'll never even smell the stench of death. He is confident that hell will not be his resting place and he will never taste death. You've got my feet on the life path with your face shining sun joy all around me. Now his feet are walking only on life. He is always accompanied by the sunshine of Christ. Now that's a, a, a thought in his mind, that no matter what comes around me, I have the sunshine of God. I'm never in darkness. That he will always be shining with me, walking side by side with me. These are the thoughts we have to keep with us. This is the assurance we have to have, and we're going to keep on with this journey. This is how we're supposed to be living. No more the foolishness of small, fearful living. Our God is always with us. And David didn't stop there. Look at what else he had to say. Remember, this is the man that God said was after his heart. We have a lot to learn about David. A lot to learn. He had something. He got God. We are to be after the heart of Christ. Nothing else but God's heart. Because if we can tap into his heart, everything else in our life is going to fall exactly where God wants it to fall. Psalm 16, 5, uh, 5 through 17. He says, my choice is you, God, first and only. And now I find I am your choice. Now, how sweet is that? That I thought I'm choosing God, but then all along I realized God really is the one who chose me. You set me up with a house and a yard, and then you made me your heir. The wise counsel God gives when I am awake and is confirmed by my sleeping heart. Day and night, I'll stick with God. I've got a good thing going, and I'm not letting it go. I'm happy from the inside out, and from the outside in, I'm firmly formed. You canceled my ticket to hell. That's not my destination. Now you've got my feet on the life path, all radiant from the shining of your face. Ever since you took my hand, I'm on the right way. That's beautiful. And we sit here, we're afraid of hell. As if hell is even a possibility for us. The ticket got canceled. Why do I keep thinking that he's going to renew it? 
God has us. I'm his choice. I wasn't second choice. I was the choice he made first. That's assurance. And when he says, I've got a good thing going and I'm not going to let it go, we've got to be committed that I'm not letting him go no more. We've let God go enough. Fooling around, doing our thing, and just letting God go on the wayside. No more. He's done too much. Psalms 23 and 6. It says, surely, or only, goodness, mercy, and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life. This means that I don't have to look over my shoulder, scared about what is behind me, my past, my enemies. Only goodness, mercy, and unfailing love follows me. No need to be afraid. The past is over. All I have is God's goodness, mercy, and love following me. But we are carrying stuff that we're not supposed to carry no more. We were supposed to lay it down and just pick up what God has for us. But instead, we kept the luggage. Trade it in. And through the length of my days, the house of the Lord and his presence shall be my dwelling place. If you look up the word dwell, it is defined as to live or stay as a permanent residence, to live or continue in a given condition or state. So when he says the Lord and his presence should be my dwelling place, he is saying he will have permanent residence in this place. I shall live no other place as well as in this condition and state of mind. My mind will be always in the presence of God. It is the permanency that God is looking for. He's tired of us moving in and out. We act like his presence for rent. It was supposed to be where we live for forever. He don't want to rent a contract with us. He says, this is where you want to be for forever. Why y'all keep moving out? And where are you going? That's better than this. That's like having, you know, a million dollar mansion and you keep going to the one bedroom apartment. It's not even a trade. We just packing our stuff up, going down to the apartment. And he's like, but... You got 6,000 square feet. What you tripping off of? Why are you going to the little small living? That's where the abundance of blessings comes from. The permanency of living with God's presence. It is this permanent form of dwelling that all peace, knowledge, and gratitude are found. The reason why we lack so many of these things is because we don't live there permanently. We keep checking out. Psalms 40. It says, I waited and waited and waited for God. At last he looked. Finally he listened. He left me out. I'm sorry. He lifted me out of the ditch. Pulled me from deep mud. 
He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song, a praise song to our God. More and more people are seeing this. They enter the mystery, abandoning themselves to God. See, that's what he wants us just to abandon ourselves to God. Blessed are you who give yourselves over to God. Turn your backs on the world's sure thing. Ignore what the world worships. The world's a huge stockpile of God wonders and God thoughts. Nothing and no one comes close to you. I start talking about you, telling what I know, and quickly run out of words. Neither numbers nor words account for you. Do something for you, bring something to you, that's not what you're after. Being religious, acting pious, that's not what you're asking for. You've opened my ears so I can listen. So I answered, I'm coming. I read in your letter what you wrote about me and I'm coming to the party you're throwing for me. That's when God's word entered my life, became part of my very being. This man is talking about God. This is a man in love with God. I, I start talking about you and I realize I don't have the words to say what I need to say about you. That a number can't fit you. And numbers are infinite. And though all the words I know cannot account for your greatness. And that when I realize that you don't really want my religiosity and you don't want my piousness and you're not really looking for me to bring you anything but me is when I was able to join the party that you've been throwing all along. And when I said, okay, I'm gonna come, that's when the words entered my being, where they became etched in my soul. When I RSVP to the party God is throwing for me is when the word entered my life and became part of my being. This is how the word gets off the page into your heart. We must RSVP to the party. He's not trying to hurt us. He's trying to celebrate us. For what? Mm. But the celebration is for me. And I'm sitting there saying, oh, I can't make it. I'm not coming. Mm, your party's not going to be that great. Isaiah 26, 7 through 8. The path of right living people is level. The leverer evens the road for the right living. And like Andre said last time, we are the one who asked the bumps in the hills. He made it even. Our lives, our lives were supposed to be level. Once we entered into that walk with God, it wasn't supposed to be all these bumps and bruises. He said he leveled it out for us. Why are we not walking level and balanced? He says we're in no hurry, God. We're content to linger in the path signposted with your decisions. Whatever your decision is, that's where I'm going to linger. Wherever you tell me that's where I'm supposed to be, I'm just going to be content and stay right there. 
I'm not going to fight with you and fuss with you and tell you you're wrong. I'm just going to say, this is where I'm supposed to be. Because you made the decision. You are and what you've done are all we'll ever want. Who you are and what you've done, that's all I'll ever want. That's a lot to say. And when will we get to the place where we can really say that? Just who you are. Whatever you put in my path, that's, that's all I want. Nothing more, nothing less, just whatever you have to give me. That's saying a lot. But it's the key to get into that right place with God. To accept that his plan is perfect. Without flaw. 1 Corinthians 14 and 1. It says, go after a life of love as if your life depended on it, because it does. Give yourselves to the gifts God gives you. Most of all, try to proclaim his truth. We must realize his truth is all we have. If we do not know the truth of God, we have nothing. We can make up stuff, misquote, and fool ourselves, but his truth is all that matters to him. And I think we have forgotten that this whole religious walk was supposed to be only about him. But we've made it all about us. So I get to throw in my, my foolishness, I get to throw in my misquotes, I get to throw in my cliches and my traditions and my rules, and I've completely etched God out the whole picture. But all he cares about is his truth. This is why we must rightly divide the word of God. And that's not just about Acts 2.38. That's about the whole book. Finding the truth in the scriptures and leaving it there. You don't really have to add a whole lot of your thoughts. Just the word is really enough. Seek the plainness of the scriptures and then follow where they lead. He made the plan simple. And guess where they lead? John 5, 39 through 40. He says, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am, standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. Here I am. Y'all so busy going to, to, to Bible college, making sure you're in, in, in every, every service. You got 50 and 60 books, references, this and that. So you can say, but he was saying this in the Greek and this in the Hebrew and, and this in Arabic. And you didn't got all that figured out. And you just got these scriptures. And he says, but it was about me. And I'm standing in front of you. You don't want me. Oh, now, amazing how that makes the Jesus feel. That you're reading my literature. That's all about me. And I'm standing here right in front of you. And you say, but 
you don't mean nothing. But let me tell you what you said. Who are we fooling? He says, I want to give you this life. But you won't come ask me. You think it's all in you? Quoting the scriptures and referencing and putting them together. Being able to debate the other religions and say how right you are. Do you have the eternal life if you don't come asking for it? You know, because we quote this scripture if you go to the King James Version, you know. Search the scripture and then you think you have life. And, and we leave it there. Go tell people just to search the scriptures. Why didn't you finish the rest of that? Why didn't you read the whole thing? Because you got, you got content on patting yourself on the back to say I searched the scriptures. And that's all I wanted to focus on was the fact that I did that part. They point to me, but you won't come to me. I know chapter and verse. Where is it? Da, 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 da. We memorizing verses. But we're not looking to the author and the finisher. He wrote this. He wrote it. He's going to finish it, and we won't go to him. With our eyes and ears on him and him alone, we will not make it. We can fool ourselves if we want to. We're not going to make it. We are not going to receive eternal life until we go to Jesus, the true and living Jesus, not the one we make up. Because we've made Jesus be another idol. Because we're not serving the real one. So we just made an idol look like Jesus. You know, if you go back to Jonah, he said, I won't worship another. We have, excuse me, we have to make sure we're not worshiping something other than the true and living Christ. We've got to stop worshiping our religion. Worshiping, I'm an apostolic. Worshiping, I'm a Baptist or Methodist or whatever other title you want to give yourself. Because you're not worshiping Christ. I don't think he really cares about what we're calling ourselves and we're getting all pious. And, and he's like, y'all don't know me either. No, none of y'all know me. What? Will somebody come find me? He says that I want to give you this life, but you won't come to me to get it. Life. Like Jonah said, his, 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 I'm in prison and death, and I'm locked out of life. And God's here like, I'm going to give you life. Will you please just come ask me? And then we have the nerve to complain about God and say he's inadequate. It's our fault that we haven't followed the plan. He set it out for us. Why won't we just follow it? As much as the writers of these scriptures knew about God 
and his greatness. They were always pointing people towards really knowing God. They were never trying to get you to look at them and say, ooh, look how much I got. Look how much knowledge I have. They were always saying, go get God. This is what I want for you. This is our prayer for you to find God for yourself. I don't, I'm not your God. I can't give you Jesus. They didn't get up on, get caught up, excuse me, on the outer appearances, on traditions, traditions and the ideals of men. They just wanted people to find God. Look, they were like, we know him. He's something else. You got to get this God. I don't care what you look like, how you talk. Just Jesus. But to have the real knowledge of God, which will lead us to everything else we need, is what their focus was. You got to know him. Just him. What these simple scriptures say about him is what you have to grasp. Go to Colossians 1. We're going to do 9 through 12. And this is what Paul says. He says, be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds, wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. The prayer, a wise mind, stop being foolish. Attuned to his will. And an understanding of how he works. Ah, we pray that you'll live well for the master. Making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. This is why our work is so flawed, because we're basing it on man and not on how God does his thing. He's the example. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. And what do we preach? And what do we hear? Just press your way. Just get through it. That ain't glory strength. That ain't Jesus strength. We're not supposed to be, oh, I'm just trying to get there. <gasps> That's not what the Jesus wanted. He said glory strength. Can you imagine the strength of glory? It is strength that endures the endurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. What he has for us is bright and beautiful. And he is going to give us the strength to take part in it. We must never lose heart. God has given us something miraculous in his son and in the spirit he sent down to dwell in us. 
this is miraculous. Think about the fact that the spirit has taken a permanent residence in your being. It's not going anywhere. It is permanently fixed to you. The one you needed, how you needed it, he placed it in you. We have a permanent condition and the state of mind of Christ if we choose to partake in it. If we lean on that, we will be able to say like David did in Psalms 27, 1 through 6. And we quote this a lot, but I don't know if we really have gotten this. What this really means. What David's sentiments were really, really saying. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He protects me from danger. Whom shall I fear? When evil men come to destroy me, they will stumble and fall. But what is it that they stumble over? They stumble over the goodness, the mercy, and the unfailing love that's following me. They're trying to get to me, but they keep falling over God's love, tripping over his goodness and his mercy so you can't even touch me. Yes, though a mighty army marches against me, my heart shall know no fear. I am confident that God will save me. I have an army marching after me, and I am not afraid, and I am confident that God will save me. Because he's already provided everything I need. This is key. Verse four, the one thing I want from God, the thing I seek most of all is the privilege of meditating in his temple, living in his presence every day of my life, delighting in his uncomparable perfections and glory. There I will be when trouble comes. He will hide me. He will set me on a high rock out of reach of all my enemies. Then I will bring him sacrifices and sing his praises with much joy. The one thing, the only thing I'm asking of my God is just the, the one thing. The ultimate desire that I have is just to be with him. Ah. to know him, to know his perfection and his beauty, to sit there and meditate on who he is, to study who my Jesus is. That's all I want. Because I know everything else is taken care of. My focus only has to be on knowing you deeper because you didn't took care of everything else. Psalms 27 and 8 says, my heart has heard you. Say, come and talk with me, O my people, 
and my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. I heard you when you said, just come talk to me. Isn't that something that all God wants is for us just to come and commune with him? And our hearts won't even say, Lord, I'm coming. I'm just asking to just have a little sit down with you. And I will add, Lord, I am here. And I'm not going nowhere now. We're going to just sit and talk. You want me to come? I'm here. I can chat too. What you want to talk about? <laughs> ah, this has to be our ultimate desire. The one thing we desire of the Lord. The main thing that we seek after. I mean, we've quoted that so many times. But can you truly say that's where your heart is? That's where we got to get to. This is why God was so impressed with David. All his junk, we know his stuff. But God's this man, he wants me. In spite of all that, he really wants me. Who doesn't want to be wanted? Do we think God is any different? He just wants to be wanted for who he is. David got that. Ah. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives. That means I never leave his house. I never leave it. I never check out for a moment and run somewhere else because I think it's safer there. Or this house has gotten too hard for me. God is requiring too much of me. He wants me to look a little deeper. And I may have to burn up some stuff. I may have to sacrifice some stuff. But I'm going to stay in the house because I'm not going to go nowhere. Ah, It says to behold the beauty of the Lord. When will we get to where we can just see how beautiful our God is? And we're a world so consumed with beauty and looking beautiful and being the prettiest. Can you imagine the beauty of God? What that has to look like to be actually see God's beauty? And to acquire in his temple. To inquire means to question, to make inquiries, to request about his temple. I'm asking God about himself now. Who are you? What you like? What you don't like? Can I request that you show me a little bit more about you? Because I just want you. Not reciting the verse but that it becomes real in our hearts. If you were not there, we shouldn't fake it. We shouldn't try to say, oh yeah, that's just my desire. I don't ask nothing else of the Lord. If you're asking more stuff, just go on and do that until you get there. But make one of your requests be that you get there, that you get to where your heart's only desire is to be with the presence of God. You know, he don't like the fake stuff anyway. He knows you're faking it. He wants you to find him, and then he wants to give you a trusting heart. 
to believe in the magnitude of his greatness. Because the heart is there. He, just, he, he already has it to hand to you. But can you just ask for it? You know, we got to get to where he is beyond our words. He is beyond our numbers. Where we can just say, I have nothing else to say. We should be speechless about God. And we just rambling, talking about our stuff. Oh, the song that I was going to have Angela sing, um, it's called I Just Want You. And it says, I just want you, I just want you. I just want to live within your presence every day. I lay down my will and every selfish desire. Whatever it takes, that's what I'll do. Because I just want you. Until we can say that from our hearts. Our lives with Christ will not be what he has intended for us. Because he wanted this to be just me and him. To get to the place where we say, I just want you. That our prayer is not so many requests anymore, but just your will, Lord. Your plan. Last night when I was, was back there talking to God, I told him, I said, you know what? Cancel every request I've made. Now, just your will. Because I've come up with all these ideas of how it should look and what should happen. I said, forget it. Your plan. You do you. You got the plan. It's perfect. I cast mine aside now. I just got to find you. And how you want my life to play out, I trust you. You do how you want to do it. Take care of who you want to take care of, however you want to take care of them. My requester because we got to get to where we just want him.